You are listening to a Raw Collective podcast. Hello and welcome to What Matters Most, a podcast hosted by me, Antonia Preble, and my good friend, Jackie Maguire, who also happens to be a clinical psychologist. Together, we will explore everyday issues that make up the moral and cultural climate of our era, issues that have a real impact on how we experience and feel about our lives. I hope you get as much out of them as we do. Hello, lovely listeners, and hello, lovely Jackie. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. I was woken at 10 to 5 by my three-and-a-half-year-old, but apart from that, the caffeine has kicked in. I am here. It's a good day. You're smiling. Things are great. Things are well, good. yeah, often when I wake up like really early because someone has woken me up, I think to myself, some people choose to get up this early and go to the gym. <laughs> and somehow that makes me feel less terrible about being woken up. At and five instead, o'clock. I watched Gabby's Dollhouse. <laughs> Gotta love Gabby's Dollhouse. <laughs> hey, so I am really looking forward to today's topic. I've been looking forward to it for a while now, actually, because what we are going to be discussing today is actually quite a new concept for me anyway. I've only discovered it recently, but it's definitely something that I relate to and align with. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts, Jackie, because this does feel like an important conversation that we're about to have. I'm obviously being very ambiguous right now. So to give a bit of context to what we're going to be talking about, traditionally, when we think about the stages of transformation in a woman's life, the two big ones that are well-documented, although possibly could actually have more documentation, but anyway, that are relatively well-documented are puberty and menopause. But recently there's been a bit of discussion and discourse about whether there might be another stage in between those two stages that similarly brings about significant physical and emotional upheaval in a woman's life. And I love the name of this. This stage has been dubbed the panic years and generally applies to women from when they're about 25 up until when they're about 40, like give or take a few years. Hopefully we can unpack this a bit today and understand the stage perhaps in ourselves or in people that are around us a bit better. So Jackie, the panic years, what are these? So the panic years was a book that was released by an author called Nell Frizzell in 2021. And if you look through her book and you listen to her speak on podcasts or in interviews, the concepts in there for me as a psychologist are not too dissimilar to concepts like the quarter-life crisis or emerging adulthood. But for the purpose of using the term, the panic years, Nell Frizzell really describes a period of time in her book for a woman's life where you have a lot of significant life decisions that you're needing to make in a forced period of time. So decisions like, do I want to be in a relationship or am I in the relationship with the right person for the remainder of my life? When I look at my career, am I satisfied and happy with the career that I have? Or, you know, am I wanting to shift and change course through to what she heavily focuses on in her book around um, a woman's biological clock, you know, decisions about whether you want children and if so, uh, how much time left do you have to have those children? So, you know, I suppose when I take a step back from that, I go, the basic concept of the panic years is 
we have a whole lot of societal norms about you know, how we should be living our life, what's expected of us in our 20s versus 30s versus 40s. And for many people during that period of time, is there this real tension versus what my life looks like now versus the expectations of what I have for my life or what society or my family or my community expect from me? And therefore, what does that tension do to us in terms of perhaps Uh, making us feel overwhelmed or panicky and making really big decisions in a fast time period in a forced way. It does really sound like a lot (laughs) when when you put it like that. And decisions that will have impact on you for the rest of your life, some of them. Yes, extremely serious and significant. Is this idea of the panic years something that you relate to, Jackie? I mean, you might not necessarily be panicking about decisions in your life, but can you relate to this idea of a period of heightened stress and anxiety when you have to make an important decision in your life? I think for me right now, because there have been periods of other panic probably over the last five years for my family, my husband and I, if I look at life as it stands in March 2023 when we're recording this, the biggest panic for me has been deciding about where to put roots down for my family. I've spoken about this on the podcast before. We, you know, my husband and I lived in Auckland. We loved our life in Auckland. We had really good friends in Auckland. We then had my eldest daughter and I really struggled with that. I had her during a measles outbreak. I had her with no family. That caused us to shift and move to Wellington to live by my parents, to live by my sister and her boy. And so we've got a wonderful, you know, family community really with my family around us. That's tricky. My husband doesn't have his immediate family with us. And I think that's a dilemma for many modern families Mm -hmm. when we geographically move as we haven't stayed in our village. So, you know, for many couples, either both parties have no family or one party has family and the other doesn't. And so in our household, that has been almost continuous conversation since we moved to Wellington around, are we wanting to stay here or do we go? And having to weigh up family versus house you can buy for your money versus community you live in versus work opportunity versus whose family should be more important. You know, they are really big, tough Primal questions. Primal questions. And and we really have grappled with that. Like Patty and I went to a life coach together to have conversations around that. Not because we couldn't discuss with each other. We absolutely had really good transparent conversations, but we're just bloody stuck. Mm-hmm. And that just makes me think about when we were talking about um, values in the Pursuit of Happiness episode, how home was one of your values, right? So if that is literally one of the strongest pillars of your life or the need for a secure, safe home is one of the strongest pillars, and yet you're not sure if you're living in the right home, that sounds panicky. It's unsettling. <laughs> yeah, panicky. And, and, and I think I've got this notion, and maybe it's an expectation, and I think we need to define expectations today and what that means and how they impact us, but I've got an expectation that I want to provide my children with a stable life. And again, I've mentioned this in a prior episode that I was the child that moved countries as a seven-year-old, and I found that really difficult. And so, as we've said before, our life shapes our adult decisions. And so, my thinking as a parent is I want my girls to have a stable life and therefore pressure on me to make 
the right decision. And and I can look at this, you know, from a really kind of stand back perspective, Antonio, and I know that none of us ever know if we're making the right decision or not, or is any decision permanent or not. Uh, but I think for all of us, whether it's where you live, do you have children, what relationship do you want to be in? If you do want to be in a relationship, what do you want to do with your career? They just have big emotional strings attached to them. And I think people feel a lot of pressure to make the right choice. Oh, whatever that is. Yeah, I totally relate to your strong wish and hope and need to create a stable life for your children. That is something I I really want to do as well. And I, I think one of my biggest areas of panic in the panic years or the thing that I find gives me the most anxiety is the decision whether to work or not. Because I think actually in my heart, I want to be a stay-at-home mom, you know, like I want to be around my children all the time and be that stable person who is present for them all the time because I know how important that is for children. So I have that as this really strong value in me. And at the same time, I'm in a dance with this other side of me, which is my ambition side, my creative side, my personal growth, my self-expression side, which all really draws me very strongly towards a career in performing arts. But unfortunately, life on film sets and TV sets, they're not conducive to being at home with your children because the the hours are, are so long. So I am constantly in a bit of a stressful dance with this idea of, do I go to work or do I stay home? And I know so many people listening to this feel exactly the same way. So this is a really significant time in our lives that we're talking about. Can I ask you a question, which is what I really want everyone listening to this to ask themselves. You just spoke about a tension then, right? Or a discordance between part of me wants to be at home with the boys because I know it's good for them. That Mm -hmm. was your exact words. My question is, do you want to be at home with the boys because you love it and enjoy it? And I'm not talking about loving and enjoying your boys. I have no doubt about that. I'm talking about being at home, loving and enjoying parenting full time. Or do you want to be at home because it's good for your boys because that's what the world has told you? I want my desire to be with them all the time is because I feel that's what they want. Like they would just love me around all the time. And so option C, Jackie. Yeah, yeah, it's option C. And for me, I like having variety. So I like being with them and doing other things. But often when I'm doing the other things, I feel guilty because I know that they would rather I'm with them. Mm. So when we look at women, really, which, and I, and I don't want this podcast to exclude men, because whilst Nell Frizzell didn't talk really about men in her book, if we take the quarter-life crisis, which, to be honest, between you and I, Antonia, I really don't see a huge difference, the quarter-life crisis being around uh, expectations on yourself, where you thought you'd be at your life by this point, and looking at other people and comparing yourself, and, and that being quite distressing if what you see or what you're living isn't what you expected or or isn't how the other people around you are living, if you feel like you've been left behind or aren't up to the same stage as others. So I don't really see it, you know, for me, I don't see a huge difference between those terms. And I think that can relate to men as well. But when you look at the 30s, for example, for women, you know, you then start seeing gender pay gaps really come to light. You see women having to often make very tough decisions about their career if they do have children and, you know, staying at home versus heading back to work and the impact on your career long term. And so I suppose anyone sitting here that 
has multiple facets of themselves, which I think we all do. None of us are straightforward. There's tension and choice. There's tension and choice. And I might even go a step further and say there is, in fact, a burden Mm. in choice. And while, of course, we have so much to be incredibly grateful for to the women who have gone before us and the women's liberation movement, we are faced in this generation at this time in the world with the most choice we've ever had. And it feels like, well, it's, again, we would not give that up in a heartbeat. It's an amazing position to be in and we deserve it. It does make things harder, doesn't it? Well, but life isn't black and white, is it? And it's, I think it's really important that we can all see the grey. So I totally agree, you know, and I think it's not a popular viewpoint often, but it's one I talk about and one I think about a lot, which sometimes choice does make life more difficult. And as you say, we would never want to remove anybody's rights or anybody's freedoms because that's so important. But when you're facing, you know, if you're at a crossroads and there's five different roads that you can take, that is more stressful than just having a singular path, which you know you're walking down, Mm. or even just having an option between A and B. You know, when you've got many ways in which you can choose to live, I think that can create distress. So if we go back to this concept of the panic years, just to give this period of life a name, do you think the stress and emotional upheaval currently in this time is more significant than perhaps it has been in previous generations because of the choices we have available? I'm not sure if it would be different now to in our parents' generation, but I think it would definitely be different from our grandparents' generation. So if I look at my mother, and she's quite a young mom, so maybe she's slightly younger than others, but definitely, you know, I would call her a feminist. You know, she kept her last name. She kept working when I was young. She would have, I think, faced many of the similar choices that we're having to face now in relationship, career, parenting. But if we look at our grandparents, you know, both my grandmothers stayed at home. They raised their kids. Mm. They looked after the home, you know. And so I suppose it's whatever generation your parents grew up in, uh, depending on how old you are. But I think once we started to get, you know, that liberation of woman movement, I think that's where the choices started to come and the flip side of that. And do you think, Jackie, that there is an understanding of the real pressures that women are under during this time. And I I feel like one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you is just to air the fact that this is a really stressful time, like having to make all these big life decisions Mm. that, as you say, impact you forever, can make you feel a bit nuts and a bit crazy. Mm. And that can be quite an isolating position to be in, right? So it feels like, to me, just the right thing to be talking about this fundamentally to just tell women that, you're not alone in going through this. And if you are finding this time in your life very stressful for multiple reasons, there's good reason why. Mm. And many other women slash every other woman is most probably feeling the same way. And I think I'm going to slightly backtrack on my last answer because I think that shows great uh, courage and bravery to say when you're wrong. And potentially my addition to my last response was actually what we've got in the world now is an economic climate, which is very difficult. So you look at 
the price of housing in New Zealand, you really need two working parents to be able to sustain a household. In our parents' time, you probably could have had one parent working and the other may have been able to stay at home if that was their choice. So I think that is more difficult. You know, we're currently about to face a financial crisis. There's, you know, global instability in the world at the moment. The gender pay gap is significant despite closing it's still there. So, you know, yes, I, I think you could look at some of the circumstances in which make up our society right now, and that makes it pretty tough when making these choices. Even the level of student debt you have Mm -hmm. and trying to pay off your student loan, you know, people getting into that position of, I need to be able to save for a deposit in order to buy a house. How long does that now take you? You know, as an individual or a couple, I want to have significant means behind me before I have a baby. You know, you look at expectation society now, even around weddings. And so I just read a stat on my way from the airport here that the average wedding now costs $60,000. You know, like when our parents got married, they weren't spending $60,000 on a wedding. Mm -hmm. And so again, I think these expectations around how we live and what our life perhaps should look like, I think that has made things pretty tough for people. So what do we do about this, Jackie? If people are listening to this and feeling like, yes, this is resonating with them because they do feel a bit overwhelmed by the decisions they have to make, or the life state that they are in, because wherever you sit along the spectrum, you're still in the panic years, right? So you might be someone who would love to be in a relationship, would love to have children, but you haven't been able to do that for whatever reason. You you haven't been able to have a baby and you're single. Or you might be at the other end of this and have children, have a partner, and be trying to work and finding the whole juggle completely overwhelming because it's two sides of the same coin. So wherever people are sitting on this spectrum, it's it's really valid to mm. be struggling with these things. So if you are listening and, and feeling like perhaps you can relate to what we're talking about, Jackie, what, what would you say to these women? You know, it's interesting. I was talking to our producer this morning because sometimes we do some prep before we come on here and have a conversation. And I said to Hannah, you know, what, what stands out to me about this topic is that how do you even know what you want when your brain is so full of other people's noise. And so I suppose for me, the starting point is to be able to be quiet and introspective, one, about what are your concerns or what are the the worries, what are the decisions that are pressing so heavily on you and write them down. It's called a brain extender to write things on paper. I think it's a really helpful processing tool. You just think about the infinite amount of space in your brain where thoughts and worries can circulate and grow bigger when we don't look at them and, and assess them and process them. So I think the starting point is to be really clear to yourself what the issues are or or life stages or life decisions are that are playing heavily on your mind. So be it, I'm lonely and I want to be in a relationship. Be it, I'm the only friend in my circle group that is now without children. Be it, what the hell am I doing in my job? How have I ended up in this kind of soulless career when in fact I really had a passion for something else? Like whatever it is, or whether it's all three of those, or, you know, can you write down in front of you what your worries are? I think then you have to be able to hold some self-compassion for yourself to normalize the fact that this period of time 
is overwhelming, panicky, confusing, unsettling for many, many people and you're not alone and you're not isolated. Uh, Because when we can normalise our experiences, it takes some of the sting or the overwhelm out from it because it's part of the human journey rather than there being something wrong with you. Because I think when we feel like we're the only ones to be experiencing something, that's a really painful place to be. And I'm sure we've all had experiences. You know, I'm just casting my mind back to when I was at university and and I was the only one without a boyfriend, you know, oh. and, and looking back then and, and I was in my early 20s, but at that point in time, having this fear that I'd never be with anyone and no one would want to date me and I'd, I'd be single and on my own. And that and I remember being really oh, overwhelmed real yeah. and frightened by that. Yeah. And feeling a bit powerless in it at that stage in life. So I think when you can go, actually, other people feel like this and you are not alone, I think that sometimes that does really actually help in reducing the intensity of the panic, the worry, the fear, the overwhelm. Then I suppose when you have got the things in front of you that are your concerns, when you can go, hey, this is not just me and hold some self-compassion for yourself, like be kind and caring and gentle with you, yourself, then I think you need to go, okay, what's in my control versus what's not in my Mm -hmm. control? So let's take, I want a relationship with someone. I really want to be in a relationship. My question to you would be, why do you want to be in a relationship? Have you got that answer really clear for yourself? Is it because social media and the world tells you that you should be coupled to have self-worth? Or is it because you're looking for companionship and somebody to enjoy life with and do life with? You know, like, are you really clear in that response for yourself? Then I think I'd be asking, so what are you doing within your control to try and make that happen? Because if you really want a relationship, but you're somebody that stays at home quite a lot. You don't go out and meet new people. You haven't put yourself out there by joining a dating agency or trying a a modern way of of meeting a partner. Then really you're minimising your your chances of that occurring. You're kind of leaving it up to fate. And, And I suppose this is a personal view rather than a theoretical view from the psychology world, but you kind of got to take life by the horns a little bit. So What can you do in your control to try and make that happen? And that does not mean that if you join a dating agency, if you, you know, go and do an activity with people that with mutual interest with you or accept the party invitations from friends and you turn up, that's not a guarantee that you'll meet someone, right? That's the right click. But you are definitely upping your chances rather Mm -hmm. than staying at home and watching Netflix with your jammies on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's going through each of those scenarios and going, what's in my control and what's not? Because I think where great distress comes from is when we ruminate, when we get stuck in the worry and we freeze with it. Because not only is that... And it's hard to unfreeze yourself, right? It's hard to unfreeze, but not only is it You can feel paralysed by fear. Absolutely. But the definition of this panic years is this forced window to make adult decisions, right? So there's an inherent timeline in this definition. The longer you stay frozen, the less likely you are to make decisions in this window of time. And so it's almost like you're doing yourself over, you know? So being able to um, acknowledge and recognise and be gentle on yourself, I think, provides you... I hope, a platform to then start to make decisions to move you forward rather than being paralyzed or stuck. And it feels even as you were talking, I can sort of sense in myself like when you are compassionate and kind to yourself, there's sort of a softening in your system which allows you to be able to think clearly. Like I know in myself, when I am 
when I am scared, when I am anxious, when I am panicking, I can't think clearly. I just cannot because all of my thinking is funneled to just reinforce whatever narrative I've told myself about the thing that I'm scared about. And my whole system feels tight. I literally kind of describe it like I feel like I can't see. Yeah. Like, But that's fight or flight. That's tunnel, yes. that's tunnel vision. Right. Yeah. I get that strongly. <laughs> so, but yeah, if you're sort of kind to yourself as this first step, I can, yeah, I can just sort of sense my whole system softening and then being able to kind of see through the fog, mm. right? The fog of fear to actually be like, okay, what what is within my control and what yeah. can I do about it? Just circling back to what you just said, sorry if I've cut you off from my previous question, but maybe I can dart this one in here. So the panic years, we're having to decide a lot of big really life stuff in a short amount of time. Do you have any advice on how to make decisions? Can I answer that later? Yes. Okay, because I want to come back to, I suppose, how how we also support ourselves through this time. Okay, we'll park that. Park that, but I yeah. will come back to how to make decisions. And okay. Tony is one of that as a whole podcast topic since we started talking about this. She really has tried to get that in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I just did it so seamlessly. <laughs> nope, but she really wants that for personal gain. We'll come back to that. Somehow Jackie foiled <laughs> me again. <laughs> if only she wasn't such a good listener. <laughs> but if we come back to how, you know, how do you support yourself through the panic years? So one, I think, is distilling really what the panic is. The second thing is, I suppose, how you care for yourself through that period of time. So let's take another example. Say you're in the category of we want to have a baby, but I either don't have a partner or we're struggling from a fertility perspective. If that's you or you, you know, were supporting your friend in that position, would you advocate for them to spend as much time as they could around other people experiencing the joy of life, giving birth? Mm. And so I'm absolutely not saying that if you're surrounded by friends that are having babies that you cut yourself off from your friends. I'm not saying that. And I actually think most adults have an ability to be happy for the people around them. Mm. But I also know from experience uh, with some of my very close friends that that can be quite deeply painful too when you want something so bad and the people you love around you have that or, or have been able to get that easily or more easy, more easy than you. And so I suppose I would say to that, how do you put some boundaries in place for yourself to look after you? Because continual exposure to something you want but you can't get right now, like I feel the pain inside me when I yes. talk about that. Yes. It's quite a visceral it response is. to that. Yes. And I think in the world of social media, more than ever before, we see that all the time. It's not just that you're going to arrange to, if we stay on this example, meet a friend and, and be around them with their baby or hold their baby or, you know, go for a coffee date and the baby's there and then you go home. Like with our phones now, pictures and images and videos are with you all the time. And so if you're really grappling or struggling with something like that in your life right now, I think you've got to have a safe space for yourself, which is actually I'm putting a limit on my social media because seeing other people's lives, which will appear perfect on a screen, and I tell you they're not, but you know, if you're not in a great space and you see the picture-perfect Instagram world, it'll make you feel worse. Have you got people in your life that you connect with that perhaps are in a similar stage to you? So do you have acquaintances, friends, colleagues that perhaps don't have children that you can still go out with and socialise with and, and they've got a world more similar to yours right now? And so again, I'm really conscious of not advocating 
to cut your ties with your good friends, you know, but I do think it is really important that you look after yourself and be aware of what triggers might make things harder for you and to just make choices that are helpful for yourself. Mm. Does that make sense? It really does make sense. And I think it's really important to hear that because definitely within New Zealand culture, there's kind of like, a, I'll just get on with it attitude, you know, harden up, get mm. on with it sort of attitude. So I can definitely relate to this in myself. Like I think it's, you know, whatever I'm struggling with, I should just be able to cope with it. You know, I should just cope with this. So face the fear, do or face the tricky thing, whatever it is. And while perhaps that's useful to a point, it's also not being kind to yourself mm. and giving yourself the space to actually be like, yeah, that is really hard. Mm. I am struggling and suffering right now. What do I need? Mm. And it's okay to meet your needs. And it's okay if your need is to have less exposure to the thing that is worrying you. Yeah. So so we've covered distill what your worries are, kind of what can you control, what can you not? How do you look after yourself through that period of time? So as my two other points are processing, having language for your feelings, being able to work through that can be really helpful. So do you see a therapist? Do you have a mentor? Do you have someone in your life who's had a similar journey to you? Can you have really helpful coaching conversations to help you navigate that? Because talking is a really effective emotion regulation technique. So I think part of that is if you need extra support through that time, totally get it. I think my other thought though is you still have a life to live even if you don't have perhaps what you're wanting right now. And I would just hate for people to waste their time with the life they've got because they're so fully wrapped up in this future state they want to be. And again, I'm so conscious of not wanting to diminish people's wishes and wants. And Because I, they're big wants, the whole idea of this. They're massive. The t- they're, they're the biggest wants. Yeah. They are the biggest. Yes. And, and, and I am really aware that Antonia and I are sitting here we both have children. We both have long-term partners. You know, we seemingly have careers that we both enjoy. And so yeah. I'm very aware of that. But that does not mean that either of us have had struggles behind the scenes. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, we're human beings like everybody else. But I suppose what I do really want to stress is you can have a wish and a desire and be working on trying to achieve relationships, career success, becoming a parent, like hold that in one hand, but can you live your present life alongside that at the same time? Because life is precious. We all have experiences where we have lost people too young and your life is important as it is today. And so I really like that metaphor of can you live alongside these desires and hopes and wishes rather than just being paralyzed in life whilst you continuously seek and search for those Kind of like that old phrase of, oh, I'm not going to get it right, but something like life happens as we're living, you know, or, or hopes and wishes as are realised as we're living. Yeah. Life is what happens while we're busy making other plans. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I really think what do you love and enjoy about your life? How do you still get connection? It might not be romantic connection, but how do you have good intimate connection? How do you get satisfaction in your life? How do you get joy, all the things we've spoken about before, you know, how do you invest in the life you've got now? 
and lean that's into still the, precious. Yeah, absolutely. And lean into the things that are going well. Yes. You know, and, and part of, I suppose, when you look at, you know, how do you manage this tricky panic time? Some of the suggestions out there is by practicing gratitude, because when we are continuously seeking and searching, we can become negative in our thinking and we can really pick up and highlight all the things we don't have or all the things we want. And in doing that, we can gloss over or forget to acknowledge the things that we do have. And again, like, I'm sure we can all relate to that, right? Because it's a part of being a human that is just what we do. And it's just so easy to get lost in the thing you really want when you don't have it. Like it's the oasis and the and the desert and you somehow want to get there but you don't know how, and it's the only thing that you can focus on. And it is, it can be so difficult to remember to be present, but that's the key, isn't it? Mm. To have your present moment, the gratitude for everything you do have as the anchor Mm. for your life. And you can absolutely, alongside that, go for what you want. And as you Mm. say, put in actionable steps for the things that are in your control, Mm. but at the same time, having compassion for yourself and being grateful for what is currently there, which is a lot, Mm -hmm. even though it might not be what you ultimately want. And it's interesting, as you're talking, my reflection is, what about the people that know what they want, but it's different to the societal norm? Because I think that's another part of panic years is, you know, I'm recalling a conversation I had not too long ago with a woman who said pretty openly, I don't believe I'll ever be with the same person long-term. I just, my core belief set is that people come and go in your life and I don't have an expectation I'll ever meet the one, like there will be people in phases in my life. What about people that don't want children and they're very certain about the fact that they don't want children? What about people that don't want to climb the career ladder or they don't want to, you know, invest their time in something from a financial cause? They've got real passion and purpose that perhaps isn't valued traditionally in life. And again, I think part of this panic years then if you sit in that category is how do you find your voice to confidently assert yourself in a world that is consistently messaging you that the way you are living is wrong? I'm so glad you brought that up, Jackie, because I did want to ask you specifically about people who've decided that they don't want to have children, which is such a valid position to hold. It is just as valid as deciding to want children, but it seems again, because we are like living in a generation where like antiquated ideas of a a woman having status if she is a mother or having reason if she Mm. has a mother is kind of smushed up against this modern idea of a a woman has status if she's following a career and they're kind of smushed together, which is why we think we should be able to have it all, which, you know, we all know is impossible. But yeah, for women who are clear that they just don't want to, I've had quite a few people who have decided that they don't want to have children tell me over the years that they've just had such difficult conversations when they tell someone that because people either look at them with sort of pity or sympathy or try to convince them that their thinking is wrong and that they should have children and they're going to regret it or, you know, whatever the narrative of the person who was talking to them has in their head because they're just putting their feelings onto this woman. But it's just not okay, is it? So yeah, could you talk a little bit about how we can properly respect other people's opinions and not put our own stuff on them and recognize when we might be 
Well, I actually think the onus comes down to how we question and respond to others. You know, everybody is entitled to their own worldview and it may be different to ours. And so, yes, I can sit here and say, if you're somebody that's made some decisions for yourself that may be perhaps different to the norm, you know, can you confidently assert that and back yourself and be really grounded in knowing that you've made the best decision for you? But I also think sometimes it's completely okay for an individual to go, actually, I know that this is really important to me, but I'm not even going to enter that conversation with this person because I can't be bothered being lectured, mm. looked at with pity. Yeah. You know, actually, so you know, rude. I'm just I'm just going to avoid the question or I'm just not, you know, I'll, I'll divert the conversation or I'm just not going to go there, not because I'm ashamed of my decisions that I've made. I just can't be bothered having that yeah. conversation. I actually think that's okay. Um, but really where, where I think the attention needs to go on is our own awareness of how often we ask questions of people without really considering the consequences of our words. Amen, Jackie. And Amen. I think <laughs> all of us do it, mm-hmm. you know, and like an example from Antonia and I's, you know, not long ago, I said, so when are you and Dan getting married? There's a ring on your finger. Come on, Antonio, when's the wedding? And you could turn around and say, actually, Jackie, I don't want to get married. I don't know whether that's the case or not, but you could. You could say. No, it's logistics. But, <laughs> but anyway. I'm totally happy being in my committed relationship and I don't need a wedding for that. And that would be valid if that is your viewpoint. But here's me asking this because seemingly naive, you know, or just. And again, but I, I was not offended at all by the question, but to use that as an example, you were asking that question putting your value system on you, on me and assuming because you value marriage and weddings that I would as well. Well, yeah, Yeah. you know, there's an engagement ring on your finger. I'm married. So I'm going to ask you that. Actually, I don't know if you and Dan have fought about that for the last year or whether you've tried to get married or haven't or, you know, it's the same, I think, with people having children. When are you going to have your first baby? Actually, you don't know if that person spent the last six years through IVF trying to have a baby or you have your first and straight away people turn around and say, when are you going to have your next, you know, or why didn't you go for that promotion? Well, because actually... I don't want to be a leader. I'm really happy doing what I'm doing and I'm okay with that. And it doesn't make me lazy or unambitious. I just have got a balance in my life that I like right now. And so I think all of us just have to be very conscious about what we ask of others and are we coming from a neutral position or as you say, am I putting my own views of life onto somebody else. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And particularly with these real pinch points, right? Like these are hotspots, relationships, children, family, career, life status. They are hotspots. And we just have to know that. We just do not know where people are at with it and just be extra sensitive. Like even if you think you are being too sensitive, err on the side of sensitivity. I've heard someone speak recently. We've all, you know, heard the phrase, uh, treat others the way you would want them to treat you. But this woman said, that's actually putting your experience at the center of their lives Mm. because they're a different person than you. So why would you expect that they would want to be treated the same way as you? You should treat others the way they want to be treated. Mm. And that really resonated with me. And I really think about that now. So we really have to, I mean, it's a natural thing to do to empathize with people from your own life Mm. because that's the life we've got. But if we remember that that's not always going to be the best way. And if we can just try to be as sensitive and open and let people be as possible, that really will be the Mm. best thing for them. And particularly, well, including this idea of the panic years when it's just so likely that people will be finding things quite difficult and there will be stress and tension. The more space and respect 
and compassion that we can give as opposed to putting our own ideas of our own expectations on them, the better. And I'm really interested in years to come to see how Gen Z manage through this period of time, because I think in many ways they differ to us. You know, if you're anywhere born between the late, the late 70s up until the late 80s or early 90s, you're a millennial. Born after the early 90s, you, you're a Gen Zer. And I think if you look at Gen Zs right now, they are pretty good at being non-judgmental, about being open, about being values-driven. They've got a lot of benefits going for them in terms of the way in which they view the world and treat each other. But will they come to the same point in their life when they enter their 30s around biological decision-making, relationships, career, or will it be different? And I just, I'm really intrigued to see what happens, you know, in the next 10 to 15 years. I think also, you know, as I was preparing for this, I, I had a question which I don't have the answer to, which was if you ask somebody, for example, that's made a decision that I don't want to have children, I'm really happy being on my own or just being in a relationship without children, I wanted to know if the biological driver to have children is still there or if that goes away. Mm. And I don't have the answer to that. I don't know because I've had children. But it's not something I felt like I could ask people because mm. just because someone has children doesn't have children, I don't know whether they spent a long time trying and then were never mm. able to have children versus someone that decided not to have children because they had a tricky childhood themselves mm. and, and didn't want to put that on a child of their own or they've got beliefs about the environment or, you know, they there never are write, there are a myriad of reasons. But I just was really intrigued because part of Nell Frizzell's Panic Years book is so entwined in your decision to have children. And we were so clear we wanted this conversation to be wider than that. But she really does talk about this biological drive, this fever in your 30s. And I really just did wonder for those that had made a considered decision, that pathway wasn't for them. Mm. What happens to the biology? Is it there or does it dim? And I, and I didn't have the answer. Well, I, I mean, I only know anecdotally from friends of mine who uh, have always been clear that they didn't want to have children, that they don't feel that yeah. drive. Yeah. Like um, when they think about uh, having children, it's just a very clear no yeah. in their systems. So then you look at this book around the panic years and is that universal or is that just Nell Frizzell's personal experience? Mm. We're jumping around a little bit here, but decision-making, since I'm not going to get a whole podcast topic on it, but maybe I will. Maybe this is just the intro. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any yeah top-line tips about how to make decisions? Yeah. My top-line tips say your decisions have to come back to your values. Uh-huh. And we've covered this before. I should have known. You should have known. <laughs> you know, what do you truly believe in? What is important to you? What will be important to you throughout your lifetime? And, and that may shift and change. But right now, do you have a compass for making decisions? And so I've spoken about values cards before, but I'll give you a, a secondary exercise now. There's a really useful tool called the holistic wheel of life. Um, basically, it's a wheel with multiple areas of life in it, financial, family, health, community, career, etc. You have to then go around and define what each of those areas mean to you. 
but it's guided, I suppose, rather than free form. So if I take a category and I take education, for example, which would be one, what does that mean to me? Education is about learning and growth. It's about being interested and curious in the world around me. It's I have a belief around education that I want to invest in education for life. I want to stretch myself. I want to be open to multiple perspectives rather than what an algorithm feeds me on a certain topic. Like They're my beliefs around education and I really believe that education and knowledge equals power for people. When we have information, we can make choices. And so that would be my definition off the top of my head of education. You then have to rank from zero to 10 how much your life, in your life, you are living that value. So zero would be, I'm not investing any time in learning, growth, development, widening my perspective, being curious. 10 would be, that's an active and heavy part of my life. So, you know, if I was to rank that, where would that be? And you go go around the wheel and you do that defining and ranking for each segment around that wheel of life. Then, you know, the analogy is you can't drive a car, ride a bike, a vehicle can't move when the wheels are wonky. And so how do you, you know, if you picture lines around a circle or with their different rankings, how do you smooth that circle out? What do you need to be investing in? What do you need to be prioritizing to kind of smooth out your holistic life? And so I think, again, that's quite an informative self-reflection exercise around your belief systems, your behavior, and whether those two things are matching up, what you might want to be investing in. So that's one exercise. But I suppose, Antonio, on a day-to-day basis, you know, when you make big decisions, I think it really does have to come down to what is important. And so back to, like, let's circle off this episode, back to my starting commentary around my panic being where do we live and where do we put down roots? And for me, and and that obviously has to be in conjunction with Patty, but very much for me, that comes down to out of my values, my family and my children being around their grandparents trumps everything else. And so I'll live in a worse off house that's more expensive than if we moved rural, because actually I just want my kids to see their grandparents every day and that trumps. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think on that daily decision making, if you can be really aware of what's important to you. It just helps make things clearer. Well, thank you once again, Jackie, for your beautiful wisdom on this topic. And I think, well, speaking for myself, but I think I can speak for Jackie. We just want everyone listening to this who is relating to this to recognize that the stage of life you are in, or if you know someone in this stage of life, is quite a profound one and Mm. is one with a lot of stress, tension, anxiety, and challenges that really cut to the quick of who we are. There are a lot of really core primal issues. So if you are experiencing hardship and anxiety and fear and frustration and anger and sadness and everything that comes with these big issues at that time, we see you, we get it, we feel you, we are sending love out through to the airwaves with you. And please do know that you are not alone. In fact, you are part of a group of pretty much every woman (laughs) between the age of 25 and 40 who on some level is going through the same thing. So treat yourself with kindness. And if you do see someone in your life who looks like they are struggling with these issues, please do, yeah, Mm. treat them with the utmost compassion and kindness too. And my final send-off is I really would love you all to hold that image of can you live in the present alongside your hopes, desires, wishes, disappointments, regrets, whatever there is that you're holding in these years, invest in your present life as you navigate those as well. 
it's a beautiful thing to end on. Live alongside in the present your wishes for the future. Yeah. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. That was What Matters Most for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this week's episode, it would be great if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as that helps let other people know that we're here. Thanks again. See you next time. Thank you.